1: Plan and book the exact getaway you want at exactly the right price for you by using our exclusive budget beach finder or find a featured all-inclusive package to Ocean by H10 Hotels and do your deal at CheapCaribbean.com.
2: Warning, this podcast contains explicit language and details acts of violence. Listener discretion is advised.
0: Paul Tanaka, who was a tattooed member of the neo-Nazi deputy gang The Vikings, went on to be one of the most powerful people in the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department. Tanaka has denied involvement with the gang. His ascension solidified the influence of deputy gangs on department culture, and it all happened on a fluke. Sheriff Peter Pitches' successor, Sheriff Sherman Block, served as the sheriff of Los Angeles County for 16 years. Block was the first deputy in the department to work his way through every rank to the top. During his tenure, he became the highest paid elected official in the United States. In 1998, Block was running for LA County Sheriff for the fifth time. He was the front runner and expected to win easily. Then, the unexpected happened. Sherman Block died at USC University Hospital after undergoing surgery for the removal of a blood clot just days before the election. Block's mentee, Chief Deputy Lee Baca, was also running for the position. Baca wasn't doing well in the polls, but following election day, the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department found itself with a new leader. Someone who was considered to be very friendly to deputy gang members.
2: is not safe.
0: This is a tradition of violence, a history of deputy gangs inside the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department. As the newly minted sheriff, Baca, who had been overseeing the Lenox Station, used his power to promote a then-lieutenant to an aide.
3: It appeared that one of the most important and powerful people in the county of Los Angeles was somebody that nobody had ever heard of. And that was then under sheriff Paul Tanaka, who was pretty much a shadow sheriff, running the place.
0: That's Celeste Freeman, founder of Witness LA and an award-winning journalist who has covered deputy gangs.
3: His background is in accounting in addition to law enforcement. The first time that he came on my radar was seeing where he was at Carson as a young deputy, and his partner in his patrol car was Cecil Rambo, who remained as his sort of best friend in the department and his lieutenant, not in the sense of rank, but his buddy who would do what he asked him to do until Tanaka left the department.
0: Earlier this year, Cecil Rambo, who has also been accused of being a deputy gang member, ran for sheriff on a platform of eradicating deputy gangs. In an interview with me last year, Rambo told me he continued to support Tanaka, despite knowing he was a deputy gang member. Sheriff Lee promoted Tanaka to undersheriff in 2011, second-in-command of the entire department.
3: Paul always kept the bad news away from Lee. Paul was good at it. He was good at being the man behind the curtain.
0: He was seen as a leader to some, and a noted cancer for others.
3: I'd have people in the department who'd come up to me and say, I never use this word, but he's evil.
0: After Tanaka's promotion, he implored deputies to, quote, work in the gray area or operate outside the confines of the law.
3: Paul Tanaka, who would come and lecture at stations, saying things like, you've got to work the gray, meaning you've got to be willing to go over that line of legality to be an aggressive law enforcement officer.
0: That also meant attacking deputies who did not go along with a criminal style of policing. Sergeant Mark Moffat, who is Asian and Native American, was repeatedly subjected to racial slurs and harassment after being assigned to a gang investigations unit based out of the Century Station. Many Vikings moved into the new Century Station when it replaced the Linwood Station in the late 1990s. One of Moffat's tormentors was Sergeant Timothy Cooper. According to Witness LA, Cooper has, quote, double ink, meaning he is a tattooed member of two deputy gangs, the Vikings, for which his tattoo has the number 98, and the Regulators, for which his tattoo is numbered 11. Cooper is allegedly one of the founders of the Regulators, a second generation of the Vikings. The gang unit that Moffat was assigned to was made up of people who came from the Century Station. Moffat was from Lakewood. He said Cooper taunted him for not being a, quote, real deputy. Here's his attorney, Bradley Gage. When
4: I handled the case, the idea of deputy gangs was just being explored. So it was difficult to believe. The claim that there were deputies with matching tattoos and numbers was something that was scoffed at. If I had the Moffitt case today, I'd have a lot more evidence to support what he was saying back then. What happens on these cases is that someone reports wrongdoing and then they get retaliated against. The general claim is that there was a group of deputies in a gang or a clique and that he then was being targeted by them.
0: Cooper and Moffat's tensions continued until they reached a boiling point one day in 2009. Cooper pointed a gun to Moffat's head.
3: He pulled a gun on another sergeant and threatened to shoot him, and virtually nothing happened to this guy who did
0: that. This happened inside the Compton station. Cooper mouthed, quote, I'm going to kill you, as he did this. Moffat reported Cooper, and the case moved to the Sheriff's Department's Discipline Committee, headed by Paul Tanaka.
3: Lee Baca at some point gave him control of internal affairs and ICIB, which is the criminal side of the investigations, in the sheriff's department. We sent up a bunch of flags because that suggested that based on his past and a lot of things he'd said, that meant that a lot of people who needed to be held appropriately to account for wrongdoing would not be.
0: Tanaka recommended a demotion for Cooper. But the committee opted for an even more lenient punishment, a 15-day suspension.
4: When you have folks who are in charge of investigating actions that are alleged to be by members of a group that they're in, the result is foregone. The conclusion is foregone.
0: Moffat filed a lawsuit with the Los Angeles Superior Court and eventually settled in 2009 for over $87,000 all funded by taxpayers. It's unclear if Cooper was ever disciplined.
2: The wait is over. The Shy returns May 10th on Paramount Plus and the stakes have never been higher. Everything changes on the South Side when a new threat comes to power in the Showtime original series from Emmy winner Lena Waithe. Battle lines will be drawn. Alliances will shift
5: more info now time is a luxury for us especially if you're a mom that's why we need a skincare routine that's easy fast and gives us results plus what if your products had thousands of five-star reviews were natural and affordable well say hello to dime beauty dime beauty is clean high-end skincare that is affordable and it really works not sure where to start i highly recommend the work system it's everything you need in one powerful package Take out the guesswork with a proven routine that includes a gentle yet effective cleanser, a super skin toner, two incredible serums, and two luxurious moisturizers. See what everyone is raving about. From serum sets to the always sold out retinol alternative TBT cream, you'll find your perfect skincare match. Dime has over 2 million happy customers and their product reviews are literally five stars. Love your skin again. Go to DimeBeautyCO.com for 20% off with code GET DIME. That's Dime Beauty WDCO.com, code GETTIME for 20% off.
0: By the early 2000s, gang culture was normalized within the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department. Angel Jaimez, a self-admitted regulator, sued the department when he felt the gang was being discriminated against. Arnaldo Casillas, Angel Jaimes' attorney, told us that he went from prosecuting cops to being friends with them. Jaimes' resume looks a lot like other deputy gang members. He was investigated by the Internal Affairs Bureau in June 1999 for a firefight. He shot and killed a man named Gustavo Roman on January 22, 2001. He told the Los Angeles Times that the gang was, quote, Like the all-stars of a baseball team, you get the best. He elaborated in court documents, describing the gang as a group of deputies who, quote, are very confident in their abilities as deputies, those who know how to do their job well, those who do the job to ensure that they become an asset to the sheriff's department, not a liability. Jaimez would not tell the paper how many deputies were in the regulators, but said he was the 63rd person to join. By 2005, the gang's membership wasn't limited to the Century Station. They were throughout the department. In a deposition, Haimes indicated that similar, quote, social groups were present at every sheriff station in LA County. The LA Times also reported that anonymous letters allegedly written by deputies outside of the gang accused regulators of extorting money from other deputies and heavily influencing shift scheduling and administration at Century Station. Members of the regulators claimed that the money went to deputies in need, but denied pressuring fellow LASD members to contribute. Jaimes said that he received performance reviews until a new sergeant, Arthur Scott, was assigned to the Century Station in October of 2000, Jaimes alleges that Scott referred to Jaimez as the head of the, quote, Mexican Mafia within the station. Jaimez's attorney later said that the regulators were singled out and likened to the Mexican Mafia because of Latino stereotypes. On June 29, 2004, the station's captain held a meeting to discuss the issue with Jaimes and Scott. Jaimez was transferred two weeks afterwards, and he was written up for insubordination. Jaimez filed a lawsuit against LA County. After a trial, a jury found in Jaimez's favor, and he was awarded $1.1 million, funded by taxpayers. That doesn't include attorney's fees, which taxpayers are also on the hook for, for both sides. Jaimez appears to have retired on disability in 2017, and receives over $110,000 in pension annually, which, yes, taxpayers also pay for. Hymas' case seemingly caused a fissure within the Vikings. Some older Vikings appeared to dislike the regulators, while others lent their support to the younger gang. Here's Celeste Freeman. The
3: deputy gangs don't have to threaten you physically. They can do ruinous things in terms of character assassination that can ruin someone's career.
0: Katherine Brown-Voyer joined the LASD in 1987, starting her career at Linwood Station. She was named as an associate of the Vikings in the civil class action suit filed by Carol Watson and the lawyers at the Police Misconduct Lawyers Referral Service. In 1990, Brown-Voyer was part of a botched raid on the home of a Latina family of seven. Several of the members of the family were beaten with batons and flashlights. By 2003, she was promoted to lieutenant and assigned to the Century Station. But her career advancement stopped when she became an advocate for regulator Angel Heimes. In June of 2004, a captain asked Brown Voyer if she heard Heimes call Sergeant Scott a, quote, piece of shit during a briefing. She says that when she told him she didn't, she was given a 15-day suspension. When she complained, she was transferred from her position and denied an assignment to the Homicide Bureau. Brown-Voyer also claims she was investigated and suspended for failing to respond to a deputy-involved traffic collision while she was out of town. She filed a lawsuit against LA County for sexual harassment, discrimination, and retaliation in 2004. Two captains testified that Brown-Voyer damaged her reputation by backing Jaimez. Captain Joaquin Heron said in a deposition after Brown-Voyer filed her lawsuit against LA County, she was not recommended for promotion to captain. The case was settled in 2010 for $790,000, paid for with taxpayer money. Brown-Voyer also sued LA County with another lieutenant who testified for Jaimez, who also claims he was passed over for a promotion after providing testimony. During the Baca and Tanaka administration, several LASD employees came forward to report racism and other forms of discrimination. A retired commander, Joaquin Heran, testified in a deposition that the prior under sheriff that Paul Tanaka replaced, Larry Waldie, called him and another employee by a racial slur. He stated that Sheriff Lee Baca would pass over Hispanic deputies for advancement in favor of white captains who falsified documents. He also said that Sheriff Lee Baca told a racist joke at the Hispanic American Police Command Officers Association meeting in the 1990s. Paul Tanaka stated in a deposition that he heard Baca say, quote, Mexicans shouldn't be put in charge of things. Baca is Mexican-American. Sheriff Alex Villanueva says the department racism affected him, too. He sued the department in 2005 for racial discrimination when he was passed over for a promotion multiple times, in the process stating that a Black woman that did get the job was, quote, lesser qualified. During litigation, Villanueva said that Commander Ronnie Williams gave a speech to department employees about LASD using quotas in the promotional process, with preference given to white males. Villanueva's case was settled for $70,000 taxpayer dollars. Ageism was also a factor. Patrick Maxwell, who was white and over 40, and Sam Dacus, who was black and was then the oldest captain over 40, served as captains in 2013 and say they were constantly passed up for promotion and hounded about when they would retire. Ronnie Williams said in a deposition that Lee Baca referred to people over 70 as, quote, dead. Joaquin Heran also testified that, quote, there was a list of all individuals in the rank of captain or above. That list was referred to as the, quote, hit list or, quote, death list because it listed the dates that an employee reached age 55 and age 60. Baca looked at the hit list to decide whether or not to promote a person from captain to commander. Tanaka made a reference to the hit list in a deposition himself, acknowledging its existence and saying that there was no reason for it to exist. Maxwell found himself increasingly at odds with Tanaka, who did not approve of Maxwell's reports of misconduct on fellow personnel.
3: He seemed to have a lot of peculiar prejudices. I mean, his biggest prejudices, to me, seemed to be that anyone who didn't support him and commit to him unquestionably was worthless and dead to
0: him. In 2010, Maxwell complained to his station lieutenant about Tanaka. He alleged that Tanaka was soliciting contributions to his campaign for mayor of Gardena from department employees.
3: In order to get promoted, you pretty much had to give money to his political campaigns.
0: Some donors to Tanaka's political campaign even got a personal challenge coin from the mayoral hopeful. Challenge coins are small medallions often exchanged by law enforcement members. They can honor a person, commemorate an event, and confirm membership to a group. The select few with Tanaka's challenge coins were invited to participate in his exclusive cigar-smoking club on a patio at department headquarters.
3: The expression was, you're either in his car or you're not in his car, in which case you don't matter and you have nothing coming, would would be Tanaka's phrase.
0: A commander said in a deposition that a scared-looking Maxwell told him he had to write a check for at least $200 to Tanaka's campaign as to not, quote, get on Tanaka's bad side or seem disloyal. Tanaka eventually got wind of Maxwell's complaints and allegedly told a department chief that Maxwell was, quote, fucking dead to him and could expect consequences. Then, resources to Maxwell's unit were cut off, according to a lieutenant. The department forced Maxwell to see a psychologist, which is inconsistent with department policy. He eventually settled his case against the department
2: and danger lies around every corner, leaving everyone to wonder who they can trust. Visit ParamountPlus.com the TheShot to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply.
5: more info now time is a luxury for us especially if you're a mom that's why we need a skincare routine that's easy fast and gives us results plus what if your products had thousands of five-star reviews were natural and affordable well say hello to dime beauty dime beauty is clean high-end skincare that is affordable and it really works not sure where to start i highly recommend the work system it's everything you need in one powerful package Take out the guesswork with a proven routine that includes a gentle yet effective cleanser, a super skin toner, two incredible serums, and two luxurious moisturizers. See what everyone is raving about. From serum sets to the always sold out retinol alternative TBT cream, you'll find your perfect skincare match. Dime has over 2 million happy customers, and their product reviews are literally 5 stars. Love your skin again. Go to DimeBeautyCO.com for 20% off with code GET DIME. That's Dime Beauty WDCO.com, code get dime for 20% off
0: According to LASD records, Century Station consistently had the highest number of shootings of any station between 1996 and 2011 nearly double the number of incidents at the second most violent LASD station. Patrick Maxwell testified that Under-Sheriff Paul Tanaka came to speak at the station and encouraged deputies to work in the gray area. Tanaka said he would be, quote, checking on them and would retaliate against any investigation of misconduct by deputies. Tanaka also stated that having 45 internal investigators was, quote, 44 too fucking many according to two commanders.
3: He was very against over-discipline by internal affairs.
0: 19-year-old William Lusk was driving a Mitsubishi SUV through the Willowbrook neighborhood of Los Angeles County. His friend, who was under 18 at the time, was in the passenger seat. The sheriff's department claims that William's friend admitted to stealing the car. Walter Wabi was the attorney for William's mom.
6: Virginia was his mother. He lived on and off with her when this incident occurred. William, he had a history of some drug use, and he had a, a prior criminal record. He had a ongoing confrontation with Oscar Barrios on and off. They knew who he was because he hung out on the streets, and they had confronted him on other occasions, trying to catch him selling drugs, being drunk, stolen goods, something. They would patrol the area, and William and his friends would be hanging out on the street. And that's what happened on this particular day. William and one or two of his friends were hanging out on the corner that day. Oscar Barrios and his partner came up, harassed them to some degree, wanted to arrest them for drinking, but they weren't gave him a warning and left later that day william and one of the individuals that was there on the corner with them were driving a stolen vehicle they didn't steal it
0: deputies oscar barrios and antonio garcia spotted the car ran plates and chased it into a cul-de-sac at 118th and robin streets barrios and garcia claimed that william pointed a gun at them but no gun was ever recovered his friend said he had no knowledge of a gun being present. When the car reached the end of the street, both people jumped out. The deputies followed William into the driveway of an apartment complex. Barrios had his gun out and pointed it around as he searched for William. He found him crouching under a tree.
6: They had William pinned down between fences. He was in a, about a two-foot, three-foot wide gap between fences of two apartment buildings. And they had him pinned down in this gap between the fence. And Oscar Barrios admitted that he was behind a tree that was large enough that gave him protection. He claims that he, he told him to come out with his hands up. And in response, William put his hand in his belt, and he thought it was reaching for a gun. Oscar Barrios shot him nine times. He couldn't go anywhere. So even if he was guilty of everything else, he still didn't deserve to die.
0: Barrios shot William several times. Once William was down, Barrios fired at him again. William died at the scene.
6: They did a thorough search of the area where they alleged it happened, and they never found a gun.
0: Jason Zabala, a tattooed member of the regulators, is responsible for the deaths of at least two people and cost the county $4 million, according to investigations from the LA District Attorney's Office. His tattoo is of a skeleton wearing a star-shaped badge and a cowboy hat and holding a pistol. It's next to a tombstone displaying the Century Station logo, which is a diamond-shaped crest with Nordic-appearing letters spelling out C-E-N. The Roman numeral for 21 is below. He says he was the 140th person to get the design. On October 11, 2011, Zabala ran a red light at the intersection of Long Beach Boulevard and Euclid in Linwood, California and drove into a woman in her car. The impact gave her long-term damage to her spine and even required effusion surgery. She sued the county, who fought her hard. Attorneys even said the surgery wasn't necessary. The case eventually settled for $80,000 before trial, paid for by taxpayers. Zabala continued to work on patrol, and it's not clear if he was ever disciplined. The following June, Deputy Norma Silva shot and killed unarmed 27-year-old Kenneth Rivera in Linwood. Documents from the Los Angeles District Attorney's Office suggest he was in the midst of a mental health episode, possibly made worse by drugs. A young girl allegedly witnessed Rivera grab a teenager sitting nearby and promptly run away. A bystander called 911 who put out a dispatch for a potential kidnapping. Silva drove past Rivera, made a U-turn, and stopped just past where he stood in front of the La Siesta Motel. Several witnesses testified at trial that Rivera approached Silva with his hands up, saying, I'm the one you're looking for. She fired three shots as he turned away, severing one of his vertebrae. Rivera collapsed on the ground and bled profusely. His family alleges he was denied medical attention. He died shortly after the shooting. Attorney Mark Pakowitz represented Rivera's family in a civil lawsuit. I interviewed him about the shooting in 2020.
7: Her story was that he went at her, dove into her, laid on top of her across the council in the patrol car, Her head was on supposedly a lunchbox that she had on the passenger seat that he was reaching for her gun. I say, well, where's this lunchbox? Because, like, wouldn't her hair be in anything on that lunchbox to prove that she was actually laying on the lunchbox? And Mm -hmm. they go, eh. The lunchbox isn't part of the car. I know. It's not in the pictures. Where is it? Well, we let her take the lunchbox. Well, why? There was a shooting in the car. Was there blood on it before you let her take it? Were there hair on it? Was there prints? Was there anything? Like, you guys know better. You have to know better. That's mm. where you start to go, why? Why?
0: The Rivera family's lawsuit accuses several LASD members of participating in a cover-up of the shooting by seizing and destroying video camera footage.
7: Part of their job, as it's described to them, is to protect the department. The bottom line is I view a lot of civil rights cases this way. There is the deputy who made the decision, whatever that decision was. But then there's the people who follow up and deal with the investigation of that decision. And I probably have more patience for the poor decision that was made in a very short period of time than I have for the countless decisions that get made during what should be a systematic gathering of facts that then determine whether something was done right or wrong part of the concern that people should have is why when i believe nine civilian witnesses walked into a federal courtroom and testified they saw him outside the vehicle when the shots went out the sheriff's department concluded that they were all wrong
0: The case settled for $1.5 million during trial, which was funded by taxpayers. The county also paid for attorney's fees on both sides. In May of 2013, deputies Oscar Barrios and Jason Zabala were working together. That month, they stopped 49-year-old Terry Lafitte as he rode his bicycle through the Florence Firestone area. Barrios and Zabala said they initiated the stop because they did not see a safety light on Terry's bike. They followed him to his house and chased him into his backyard. His sisters, nieces, and nephews were inside the house at the time and came outside when they heard the commotion. Lafitte's nephew testified he saw the deputies tackle his uncle to a prone position on the ground without saying a word to Terry. Terry's sister, who was pregnant at the time, came outside and began filming. One of the deputies kicked her in the stomach and told her he would quote, blow her fucking face off. Terry's nephew said that the deputies forced him to the ground at gunpoint and one beat him. The other placed Terry in a headlock. The two deputies began to beat Terry with their flashlights then shot him execution style in the back of the head. Terry left behind three daughters. Here's Walter Wabi, who represented the family of the first man Oscar Barrios killed.
6: Oscar Barrios, I remember, I thought he had a problem. I thought he had an ego problem with the badge. In my opinion, he should have been let go from the force after that. He should have been let go after the Lusk shooting. That's what happens when the police don't police themselves. They let a bad apple stay on the street, and it happens again.
0: Several other deputies immediately arrived at the home and confiscated the witness cell phones. Neighbors told family members the deputies hung around in the backyard with Terry's body, laughing. After the shooting, Barrios and Zabala claimed that Terry had a gun, but Zabala said in his deposition he never saw a weapon. A gun was recovered at the scene, but it tested negative for Terry's DNA, the testing did find, however, that at least two other individuals handled the gun. Those individuals were never identified. After the incident, Terry's sister said in a press conference, quote, I want revenge for my brother's death. There will be no justice in Los Angeles until my brother's murderers go to prison. I want them jailed for killing my brother and brutalizing my family. But that didn't happen. The Lafitte family settled the case for $1.5 million before it went to trial. Taxpayers, of course, paid for that. But Barrios and Zabala were never charged, and it does not appear they were ever disciplined. Even worse, Zabala went on to kill another person in front of their family. 28-year-old Johnny Martinez moved in with his parents into their Florence Firestone area home shortly after being diagnosed with schizophrenia. Here's Martina's family attorney, Ryan Casey.
8: Johnny was, for the most part, in you know, good spirits. Uh, his parents loved him deeply. He was very close with his mother. Given his mental illness, he would have episodes and could be difficult. So that was why sometimes officers had been called, and Johnny was a big boy. But he loved his parents. He was very affectionate when he wasn't having uh, you know an issue or an episode. Sometimes he would think and get paranoid that people were coming after him.
0: Johnny also had a daughter living out of state with her mother. He got along well with his neighbors, but did get into a verbal argument with one on October 14th, 2014. Casey told me in 2020 that Johnny was eating right before the argument started. As things got tense, Johnny bear hugged his neighbor, cutting his face with a fork in the process. The man's 13-year-old son called 911, and was connected to several dispatchers who incorrectly reported the man as being stabbed. The last dispatcher the boy spoke to called Johnny, quote, slow when the kid tried to correct her and tell her Johnny was calmly sitting on the porch with his parents. The dispatcher also told the child to approach deputies and clarify dispatch mistakes himself. Attorney Ryan Casey says that when Deputy Jason Zabala and four others arrived, they ignored neighbors who tried to explain what was happening. Johnny remained seated on his parents' steps as the deputies approached. He had a small steak knife in his hands and laid it on the ground when asked. Even though Johnny complied, the deputies stated that they shot a taser at him, then pepper spray. Next, all four shot at him, firing at least 36 times. One of the bullets also struck Johnny's neighbor standing nearby. Johnny died on the steps in front of his family and neighbors. The deputies who shot Johnny were found to have acted in self-defense and no charges were filed. Zabala was promoted, ironically, to a gang detective unit, Operation Safe Streets. The Martinez family and the family of the neighbor who was shot filed civil lawsuits against L.A. County and were awarded $2.5 million and $2 million, respectively, paid for by taxpayers.
8: It was very interesting because they were very, very resistant on letting us get into any of the evidence regarding tattoos, regarding gang affiliation. We had to file many motions to compel production of that information with the court because they were instructing their clients not to answer. And it was only once the judges granted and provided us access to get this information, and we were gearing up, I believe, for another deposition of the deputy that we're focused here on, Deputy Zabalo, when um, the case actually resolved. So I don't know if there was anything that they didn't want to come out or didn't want to be dug deeper on, but the case did resolve the further we dug into those areas.
0: Members of the regulators were beginning to move up in the department. They now had security power and nothing stopping them the time had come for the regulators to train the latest set of recruits fresh out of the academy in a place where no one would be looking the jails that's coming up next week
2: h double the whole hood know me fuck the police i'm a fucking hood trophy You've been listening to A Tradition of Violence, a history of deputy gangs in the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department. Hosted and executive produced by Cerise Castle, music by Yellow Hill and Steels. For breaking news and updates on deputy gangs, follow at LASD Gangs on social media. To support Cerise's reporting and for exclusive bonus content, subscribe to the LASD Gangs Patreon. If you're enjoying A Tradition of Violence, please give us a five star rating and leave a written review.
1: Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at Toyota dot com slash beyond zero.